Hello, everyone, and welcome to the State of Sport Management, a podcast with Dr. Matthew Hummel coming from the University of Cincinnati in Cincinnati, Ohio. Here's this week's episode. All right, everybody, thanks for joining us again here. We're actually kicking off our third season, um, our third season here of State of Sport Management, which is exciting. I don't know if I necessarily thought we would be going this long or that I thought maybe we'd blow way past this point, but we've got some really interesting topics that are going to be coming up later here in the third season, but I want to make sure we brought in a big heavy hitter here to start us off with season three. So I have Dr. Allison Doherty at Western University. She's full professor in their school of kinesiology because I asked around, I really have been wanting to do an episode on theory. I think it's been a really important topic in our field that I think a good chunk of us, or at least maybe even all of us wrestle with at times. And I asked around for a lot of people that I trust that have been in this field for a while on who they would recommend. And I got some names, but the name that came up the most was Dr. Doherty's. And so I wanted to make sure that we brought her on to talk about that. So Dr. Doherty, welcome. Thanks for joining in and um, talking about theory. Thanks for having me, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. And I think that I'm probably only a heavy hitter because of the topic, which some consider <laughs> to be a heavy topic, but we'll try to lighten it up. Yes, yes. Um, and it, I mean, I sure it can be a heavy topic, but I think it's a, such a pertinent topic with some of our focus on here being about manuscripts. And we've had journal editors in before and how to respond to reviewers. But I think theory, theoretical frameworks, how it all applies to sport management is going to be really important. And I think for some of us, we still wrestle with even basic tenets to also thinking about how to fit a theory within kind of our general topic. But let's just kind of get started off with um, talking about some basics. But for anyone listening, Dr. Doherty has a great paper from 2013 called Investing in Sport Management, the Value of Good Theory. And she also has a chapter within the Handbook of Theory and Sport Management that I believe Rutledge has it edited. It's from Rutledge. So if you can, as you're listening to this, it might be good to pull those resources up. At least I have those resources up so I don't sound any more foolish than I have to be during this podcast. But Dr. Rody, kind of let's start us off with the basics here. Like what is theory? Okay, well, uh, thanks for the um, the shout out to those uh, documents. And, uh, you know, in my comments today, I am um, going to parallel a lot of what I uh, wrote about in the uh, 2013 paper, Investing in Sport Management. Um, at that time, I, I wrote that because I, I felt there was a need to um, really have some basics um, about why we should invest in this, but what, what we're actually uh, investing in. And so when we're talking about theory, it's, um, gosh, we should change that word, I think. Um, but <laughs> it explains um, relationships um, between phenomena. Um, so it, it needs to talk about what, are, what phenomena and how are they related. And most importantly, why um, there is that relationship, why there is that effect. And so what theory does is it, it describes and it explains, or at least it attempts to explain. Um, and what we can think about is we use the terms like theory and knowledge, but maybe a better term to use is understanding, because there's knowledge and then there's understanding. And understanding is really at the root of this, understanding of what are the phenomena and how are they related. 
Um, and without theory um, or the consideration of a relationship between phenomena, we're, we're simply describing. Uh, so we're simply describing a phenomena, a single concept. And, you know, this has its place, but we should want to know, so what about that concept? What impacts on it and what difference does it make as opposed to just saying here's a description of it and so maybe rather than using the word theory or we can replace the word theory we're really talking about a relationship or a dynamic among phenomena so we can know more about something if we know what it's associated with and that's basically what we're talking about in with theory nice so kind of jumping off further from that like how how are we applying that um how are we or how should we <laughs> it's <laughs> a sure. it's a struggle right and um i mean i i uh, say in the paper in 2013 it still holds you know i'm not um innocent when it comes to um you know using theory all the time it's it 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 does challenge us um, and so we need to understand um, the value in using theory why why would we use it maybe we'll talk about that uh, in a moment but yeah. how do we use it so again in the article i outline several different ways and all of this is important and and the message that i'm going to try to remember to have as the take home is to you know, to, to test yourself, to challenge yourself. Don't be afraid of theory, but, um, you know, invest in theory and, and uh, get the value from it. So how we use it is uh, in several different ways. We might uh, borrow theory. Um, so we borrow theory from uh, a parent discipline like um, psychology, um, management, sociology, uh, those sorts of things. And we may borrow it um, directly. Um, we may adapt theory, which uh, maybe we should do, um, but maybe we don't necessarily have to when we're borrowing a theory from, uh, say, sociology, an example might be a stakeholder uh, theory. And um, we say we're taking this directly to try and understand uh, what's going on in um, a sponsorship um, and uh, properties. And so we want to use stakeholder theory, but we may need to adapt that. So uh, possibly we adapt uh, theories from the parent discipline and adapt it or retrofit it, domesticate it to the sport context. And so that's um, using theory uh, to contribute to uh, our research. Uh, but we we also use theory um, or involve theory uh, by extending it. Um, and so extending it is, you know, we might um, add variables um, to existing theory and say, hmm, I think I want to also find out. So, you know, we look at age and gender. And I also think that um, what sport you did might impact on your likelihood of donating to your school. Um, and so we add that in, there has to be a rationale for that. So in that way we extend uh, some theory and we also uh, can generate new theory either by theorizing 
saying, hey, I think this there's a relationship between these phenomena and, and that's fine. It's tough to do. People poke holes in that really nicely. Um, <laughs> or using grounded theory where you take a, a set of empirical data and you look to see, you know, are there some... What, what's going on here? And are we seeing some relationships uh, coming out of this? And from that, we uh, say that, uh, yes, we see uh, some theory, again, some relationship um, happening. Um, so there are different ways that we um, uh, can and do um, use theory. Well, and so, and, and that's why I want to make sure that we're not jumping too far ahead. But I think a lot of the points you hit right there are really good in that theory and sport management book because it provides a lot of great examples in each chapter of people taking whatever theoretical framework they're presenting that have been used in sport management before and kind of walking through a lot of that thought process of how they took that theory, what connection they made with that topic, how they potentially massaged it to fit or also essentially conceptually viewed how it would progress from whatever concept or context they were looking at. Right. It, it is. Uh, I just looked through the, uh, the book again. Um, and so it's uh, edited by uh, George Cunningham, Janet Fink and myself. And what we wanted to do really uh, flowing on from the uh, sport management review where um, I have the paper uh, 2013 uh, issue and uh, several other colleagues reflect on uh, theory and sport management. And so this uh, particular textbook, which I encourage, um, you know, individuals and at least uh, programs and institutional libraries to have a copy of it, this focused on really the um, uh, extending and building theory. But there are, as you say, there are several examples that people give of either they it's grounded theory. They started, you know, from the ground up, um, you know, collected some data and said, you know, what's really going on here, but also uh, some extension or conceptual blending of theories that they, and what's interesting is, uh, you know, a lot of the examples they say, I just wasn't getting the answers that I needed. I don't think this was informing us about what's going on in sport management. And so they started putting some things together. And uh, it also, um, you know, gives the uh, reality of uh, this being um, uh, not an easy process, uh, sometimes a contentious process, a lot of forward and backward and, and an evolving process for sure. But I, I do encourage people to, to look at those chapters and see, uh, you know, some of our most esteemed um, colleagues in the field and, and how they got to um, the theories that uh, they've been focused on. Yeah. And that kind of takes me to this next point about importance because each of those chapters, I feel like hits home to me on why theory is important because it's people putting the context within that, but kind of what, like why, why is it important for us to use theory within our academic papers? So I, I I'll start uh, simple. It's uh, you know, in my, um, uh, paper, I talk about building knowledge in the field, but somebody might say, uh, you know, I'll leave it, I'll leave it to others to, um, you know, build the field of sport management. But there's a great point in one of the chapters in the book, uh, that early chapter by uh, James Zhang, uh, who talks about the role of theory in quantitative research. And he says, you know, it's um, it's uh, critical and it's invaluable because theory, so knowing what 
concepts you're interested in and the um, theorized or hypothetical proposed relationship between them, it guides your research design. It guides your analyses. It guides your interpretation. So, you know, Lewin's uh, famous quotation, there's nothing so practical as a good theory. Uh, sometimes we use that in the context of practice. So we should use theory and practice, but let's use theory and research. Um, it, it, things can fall into place if we know this is what we want to study. We want to know if there is a relationship uh, between these variables, between these uh, concepts in a particular context, um, then that uh, helps to guide your research design and, and, and the study. It's very challenging and probably a lot of us <laughs> have had the experience of <laughs> having a data set with no theory and, you know, the cliche that it's, you know, data in search of a theory. That can be very challenging. And if you think about, well, gosh, if I'd known what I actually wanted to study in the first place and maybe what I was looking for, what I was testing, that would have made this design a lot better and I would have been much happier with this data. And so, so that's really a, a sort of a very um, individual reason. At a broader level, um, uh, academic disciplines and sub-disciplines um, exist and have credibility because they have a um, distinct body of knowledge. So if our knowledge was the exact same, on marketing was the exact same, I always use the example of cornflakes. So marketing cornflakes, marketing um, the NFL. If that's exactly the same, then we don't need sport management to look at marketing the NFL. And so we need to you know, demonstrate um, that we have this uh, unique body of knowledge and it's really because of our context. Um, and um, this is going to come from not just describing, um, you know, what the NFL is like and, you know, that people go to the NFL or now that people will watch it, um, you know, online, those sorts of things, but trying to understand why and uh, why, why not, under what conditions, is there variation um, in this? And again, it gets back to the why um, and explaining and, um, you know, developing a really uh, solid body of uh, knowledge and understanding that then we can say, this is what we know in sport management. Um, and, and that strengthens our, our field. Well, and so that's a great segue for this kind of talking about theory fitting within that sport management because I've had this conversation, people, it kind of all, it does revolve around big picture ideas like your article in sport management review. I also think of Chalup's article from JSM, his Ziegler lecture talking about toward a distinctive sport management discipline, which does focus a little bit on having theoretical frameworks that are rooted within sport management, but, and maybe those are pertinent to you on how you think about this or not, but like, why do we potentially, why do some people perceive or whether it's true or not, or that we have struggles with theory within our field compared to potentially other fields? Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not sure, um, you know, if we struggle, uh, more with that, um, and, we, we could go on. So, you know, cut me off. <laughs> no, uh, no, that's fine. 
I'm, so I'm not sure about that. Um, one of the challenges, it would be interesting to look at other um, sub-disciplines of parents. So thinking of parent disciplines as um, uh, management, um, psychology, sociology, anthropology, economics. And um, I would say that there are uh, challenges with um, adopting or sorry, borrowing, borrowing or adopting theory directly um, because uh, we, we do have to consider the context. And so this doesn't answer uh, Chalup's um, query about, you know, is, is a, a sport uh, distinct? Some people would say it is, some people would say it isn't. Um, Sally Shaw's chapter in the textbook is quite nice about um, she she uh, sort of debates both sides of that, and I think that we have to consider that um, there will be some uh, borrowed uh, theory that we take uh, straight uh, straight in. Um, an example maybe is stakeholder theory, maybe uh, role theory, and we borrow it um, directly. Institutional theory, but then. Um, we have to consider about adapting it um, to the sport context. And so I always think about that and I look for that as a reviewer. If somebody has taken um, a theory uh, directly from another uh, context where it was developed and applied it to sport, um, you know, I will question that. Do you, do you think that this can be, adopted directly. So um, a good example is um, uh, a former student, Alana Harmon, did her doctoral work on psychological contract. And most of the research on psychological contract is in the um, uh, workplace setting with uh, employees. And so she wanted to look at it in the volunteer setting and in the sports setting. And we do see people that take the concepts directly from the workplace setting but we're talking about volunteers who are unpaid. So one, there's no expectation of remuneration. So that changes automatically. And you can just start sort of thinking about all the, the different uh, contexts around that. And so uh, she adapted psychological contract theory to uh, the volunteer sport and specifically coach um, setting. Um, and in that way is um, adapting and generating some new theory that is specific. So it still talks about the relationship that people's expectations will be um, associated with their satisfaction, their effort, their uh, retention, those sorts of things, and whether those expectations are met. Uh, but looking at those expectations specifically in that specific sport context. So some uh, I think we always need to consider this. We, we do have, um, I think, a unique context in sport. And um, so I think we always have to question, can I borrow this uh, theory directly? Um, should I uh, adapt it to uh, the sports setting? Or maybe it doesn't work at all and I'm going to uh, create and propose something new altogether. Um, and so you know, one way we can do that, I, I think we can get at a sport management theory, both from this adaptation um, and from a grounded theory approach where we study 
um, our sport context of interest and say, you know, here are some things going on. But what's important is to um, realize that, you know, is this actually unique? And in fact, if you're using a grounded theory approach to look at the stakeholders involved in, you know, sponsorship and and, um, sport products, um, you need to compare that to existing stakeholder theory and acknowledge that, okay, this actually looks like what, what already exists. So it's complicated. I don't know if that was a very uh, clear um, answer. And maybe that just speaks to, to theory that there are uh, a number of different ways that we engage with theory and some of it will be direct and some of it will be very specific to the sport context. As long as we're aware of that and we uh, critique that and at least acknowledge that, you know, we have borrowed this theory directly, perhaps a limitation is that it doesn't really apply to or as well as it could to the sport um, setting. That makes a contribution because then someone takes that and says, you know what, I'm going to uh, continue some research and I'm going to extend this to the sports setting. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of like something where I guess speaking for me as I've started to do more research, I feel like aligns with more management stuff, but when I read management stuff at times I'll read psychology stuff. And so mm-hmm. then it becomes like, yeah, like who's, who's home really like, it's like context is very home specific, but theory is ideally like this like phenomena that can that can fit in between many different areas and potentially provide some framing within that but yeah, but but uh, theory can have um uh a lot of a context around it and so it is important to know where uh theory comes from and yeah. uh, you know, this, this means going back and saying, where did this, uh, where did this come from? Um, one interesting example that just sort of sticks in my craw is um, I've done work around a sport event volunteers. And a lot of the work has been um, uh, based on some original work uh, that was actually not about volunteers at all. It was about volunteer members and their motivation. And it was around, uh, it was in a recreation facility. So I'm not going to um, hmm. name names and throw under the bus. And this is from a long time ago. But if you look <laughs> back at that original study, it's actually about volunteer members, not volunteers. So, so these are people who voluntarily, you know, go to, uh, I get. I go to the zoo and I pay the membership. I go to the arena and I pay the membership. Not the volunteers who may work there, but this is. And it anyway, the study was about their motivation. So it was actually a semantics thing that really kind of got it off the rails. So um, it's important to look back to see where things came from. And let's take the example of um, um, the theory of planned behavior which is very popular. I don't know where it came from, actually. I don't even know the original, but it would be important and valuable to understand what, in what context did this first come up and where has it been used? And so should I be adapting it to the context I'm interested in or is this actually quite 
uh, parallel. And maybe they're missing something completely here, but we tend to just sort of grab onto something and uh, run with uh, the theory because we're just excited to have found something and it fits and, and away we go. That's true. So what are ways, like speaking further on that, so there's good question. Like you said, you brought up good points of whether we are struggling or not, but like what would be ways this for us to improve? Because I think we always can improve on understanding and applying theory. So how can we do that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the first thing is to not be intimidated by it. And so I go back to the point from James Zhang who said, you know, theory can help you to, it, it can guide your, uh, you know, research design and, and, and so on. And, and so in the quantitative uh, context, and Sally Shaw says very similar in, in the qualitative. Um, so we shouldn't be intimidated by it. And, you know, maybe we sh let's not wait till we get the reviews back and the reviewers say, where's the theory? You know, take the time and think about the theory up front. Um, Sally Shaw gives the example of, uh, you know, theory is part of an academic conversation and, um, you know, just versus chit chat at a bar. Well, maybe you chit in a cafe, wherever, wherever we can go in these days too. Um, and just talking about, you know, so what do you think's going on here? I don't know what might be causing this and thinking about sort of the before and after effect to better understand why is it like this? We don't need to know that, uh, you know, people are not um, uh, attending uh, NHL games. That's very descriptive. Why are they not attending uh, NHL games? So what could make them att attend NHL games? And that's theory. That's saying, you know, what would be the motivation for this behavior? So there's the concepts. What's the relationship between them and, and why is that? So keep in mind that that's um, theory. Um, so one of the ways that we can improve, again, not be intimidated by it and, you know, consider it to be um, our friend. Theory doesn't mean that, okay, have you got the theory of planned behavior? Have you got... Uh, you know, uh, critical feminist theory, have you got uh, institutional theory? Theory is a relationship between phenomena. So you could call it, this is Matt Hummel's theory about <laughs> X and Y. And uh, it doesn't, do you know what I mean? Like it doesn't have to have a big name. Yeah. And I think that could be one of the things. I don't know. I don't know. I can't, I don't know the big names and this one or these ones don't fit. So just... You know, those are ones that have been established over time. But uh, theory says, you know, there's a relationship between X and Y, and uh, this is the reason uh, for that. Um, to also improve our work on theory and with theory um, is to consider the, the, the value in it, if I go back to that. So it's not just to explain what's going on, but also to predict and ultimately to be able to manage and control. And so that also at the front end, and I'm sure you know this from experience, Matt, like a lot of the work has to be done up front because once you've got that data, you're stuck with that data. Yeah. <laughs> and yep. so you have to spend the time up front. And that includes looking at what is the, 
what is the relationship that I want to be looking at here, either uh, quantitatively or qualitatively, that's going to allow me to explain what's going on, maybe even predict what's going on, and certainly to manage what's going on. And so, um, you know, as sport management researchers, we, we should be um, thinking about, um, uh, you know, how uh, will I use this to um, answer some of these questions? And if it is just to describe something, um, then it's maybe not going to uh, have the same value. So I think we need to, you know, be aware when we're not using it and consider how we can. And to, to step back and say, am I simply describing something, saying one, one phenomenon, one concept, this is what is, or am I taking it further and trying to explain that phenomenon? And there could be lots of different explanations for that. So again, I mean, description has its place and um, often needs to be a precursor to uh, looking at, um, we, we don't know what the relationship might be if we don't even know what the concept is. And so description has its place, but you know, it, we need to show that it's a contribution because we don't, we didn't know that before. So we know so much about uh, sport volunteer motivation. We do not need to study that anymore. We need to go further and say, <laughs> how do we explain that and explain it in new ways? We need to keep extending um, the theory, not um, just sort of repeating what, uh, what we already have. Um, and, and so I would say, you know, how can we improve is just by being aware, do I have a theoretical relationship here that I'm looking at? Could I, um, and, and should I have that? Um, again, it's sometimes okay not to, but there needs to be a really good rationale for why a descriptive study is important. And so that means that you are not borrowing, you're not adapting, you're not um, extending, and you're not generating um, new theory. You are simply describing a phenomena. And, you know, as our field develops, we don't need to describe phenomena so much anymore. We've got a good handle on it. So we need to be explaining it, what's happening, so that we can better manage it. Well, and Again, I'm I'm definitely not as knowledgeable about this topic as you. I think the one thing that I would add on that's helped me improve my work for theory and I think would be good advice for others is just try to read as many articles on a theory like on a theory or or a framework that you think might be important as you can because I feel like the more I read a theoretical framework on like you said theory of planned behavior, I feel like the more and more I would continue to read articles that describe it and then also their discussion areas and how they feel like they're advancing it would help me further understand exactly how they laid out the plan for that theory and how they advanced it. And right. I feel like obviously reading that tells me something that maybe has already been done and it doesn't necessarily mean that it can't be further advanced in that area, but that has always helped me going into a new area. 
So like writing on something like tournament theory is something I wasn't really too familiar with going into this year, but then it's something of the more and more I read about it, the more and more I understand. And then it's more of can is some of this giving me bits and pieces of the area or direction I want to take this? Like, is there someone laying out some areas? Obviously, the golden nugget is if you find someone that says, hey, you know, in future recommendations, it'd be great if someone took this theory in this direction. And that happens mm-hmm. to be the direction you were thinking about. But yeah. <laughs> that's um, life isn't quite that fair. Um, but I do just think getting more and more reading in on a theory is going to help me better understand it. Even if it's someone already telling me what they're accomplishing, it helps me comprehend where I may be able to take that theory in the future. Right. And you, you bring up a good point uh, to, to be reading more. And we might say, gosh, do we have time to read more? But certainly when you're thinking about a, a project and you're thinking about an area um, and when you're doing any reading in an area, also when you're reviewing is to, um, you know, critique papers um, about their uh, theory use. So don't assume that everything that's published, you know, has theory and uses theory appropriately, but you can also become a, um, a critic of it and say, okay, I, I understand the theory that they're using. Do they actually carry it through? Um, and that can be one of the, the challenges. So somebody's, you know, maybe just thrown out a theory or it's actually a theory that is really good for project, but then they, they never come back to it. And so theory is um, very practical. It, it guides what you're doing. You always go back when it comes to the discussion. Oh, what am I going to talk about? Well, did the findings align with the theory as you might have expected? Yes, they did. Okay. And why is that? No, they didn't. That can be just as useful, just as insightful. Yeah. They didn't. Why is that? Why did this theory not hold up? And so it has to be continued right through it. And so we need to look for that in papers and and to recognize also when I don't see, I think this is a descriptive paper or um, why didn't they ask about something? So Again, it's about not being intimidated by it, but uh, embracing it, um, you know, doing some reading to be really familiar with um, the theory and what it is, a relationship between phenomena, and, and looking at uh, these examples and maybe highlighting examples that really uh, resonate um, with you. But uh, again, you know, to not, it's, it's, our, it's our friend. Theory should be um, our friend and... Um, <laughs> And so we need to find friends to help us with our research. So I know we talked about your paper and um, the book on theory and sport management, but is there other articles that really stuck out to you that you feel like would be important for someone to read or whether that's them talking kind of the same narrative of your 2013 article talking about investing in using theory or is it just papers that have applied theory in a, in a really constructive way that you think would be good for other people to read and see that in like in application? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think the, um, you know, my paper in the uh, 2013 issue of sport management review um, lays out, I think some of the basic points and there are several other 
papers in that issue that may really resonate with people. Um, for example, uh, Chala talks about um, his experience with um, a theory, a leadership theory, and you know what prompted him to uh, develop that. Um, Janet Fink has a paper in there about her experience. So there, there could be, uh, you know, a number of articles in there that really resonate. So I certainly would um, direct anyone to that, um, to that special issue for sure. Um, you know what, I, I can't, I don't have a good memory for such things about, um, um, you know, in terms of using um, a theory. Um, I would say um, generally articles in the management field. So Academy of Management Journal, um, you know, and any paper in there is going to have a very direct use of theory. So if people are still not getting that, you know, how, how is this used? How does one use theory? Um, they would be some very direct examples that, you know, uh, here's um, a gap in the knowledge and this theory may help us to understand that and it guided our research design this is what we found it resonates with the theory it doesn't this is why these would be the future directions so um, that's all said in very many pages they tend to be long articles but um, so I, I think sort of a combination of um, you know, looking at that uh, issue, also looking at the textbook, but um, I should direct us to papers in our field, but I can't think of any off the top of my head. Um, but uh, so Academy of Management Journal would be um, sort of a nice parent um, example of that. Um, certainly some, you know, uh, authors in, who in our field who are excellent theorists, if that's helpful. Yeah. Uh, I would say, and, and many of them are in the uh, the textbook, but, um, uh, you know, Kathy Babiak, uh, Yuhei Anu, uh, Milena Perrant, Holger Proust, uh, Dan Funk, um, Rodney Fort. Um, oh, you know, I'm leaving lots of people out, but um, to look at their work, they have a very, and that's a combination of uh, qualitative and quantitative work, and uh, people could look to um, some examples of their work uh, for that. Um, but again, um, you know, those, they, they will use, they will have theory up front um, saying that this is going to uh, guide my um, study um, and it helps them to this is what I'm going to measure this is how I'm going to analyze it and uh, and to uh, help them interpret their findings as well okay yeah I mean I think it's great to hear the the list because then people can go seek out their names on Google Scholar or whatever and see some mm -hmm. articles that they've written to find well, I mean, kind of one last thing is talking about applying theory. We've talked a lot about research, but what are some suggestions on applying some of this theory within teaching? Um, I know teaching has kind of gone through quite a bit of change, obviously, with everything that's going on, but what are potentially some ways you use it within your teaching or that you think you've heard of others or what, what's an effective way for using theory within our teaching? So this is, uh, you know, an interesting topic because um, 
you know, in fact, I was uh, looking through my um, valuations from last year as I prepare for teaching and there was one comment, too much theory, it's so dry, let's, you know, they just want to talk about sport or something. And so the theory can be uh, intimidating for students, unappealing, etc. And so it may be how we package it. And I'm not sure I even used the word theory in that course. So, but the student obviously picked up that it was theory. But, um, you know, it's, it's important because theory-based knowledge and, and its origins in, in the theory really promotes analytical and critical thinking. So students should be prompted and encouraged to ask why. Um, so if we think of not, the, the goal is not to uh, teach theory, but the goal is to have, you know, analytical, critical thinkers that ask why or why not. Um, and theory uh, provides that mechanism. When we ask why something is like this, it's because there's some relationship with another variable. And so that that's theory. And so again, maybe it's just repackaging terms, but um, you know, it's, it's really important for us that we don't just describe things to our students. We don't just say, and you know, you do this, you do this, you do this. Um, but then but that we explain why you do it this way, or, you know, how we could predict that something would happen by uh, knowing the other variables that influence that. Um, and, um, you know, that's what gets um, this, you know, uh, critical thinking um, and analytical thinking into practice as our students uh, move into practice. So, um, you know, it's, uh, so I guess the encouragement there would be to use uh, theory-based knowledge um, and be uh, aware of our, ourselves in, in teaching when we teach that we are sharing theory-based knowledge. And depending on the level of the student, certainly at the graduate level, um, having them do the critiquing. So here's a number of different theories. Which one do you think would you know, best um, explain a situation or, you know, if you had this uh, case um, uh, situation, which theory would help to explain that? And they may say, oh, ah, theory, blah, blah. But they actually are using it because they're saying, well, I want to manage this. So I'm going to do this, which is going to affect that. That's theory. That's showing a relationship. How did you know that this was the best thing to do to affect this outcome? because of the relationship. And so we need to be teaching or making our students um, aware that they need to be uh, thinking about, is this just off the top of my head or has somebody actually um, studied this? So this theory-based evidence, if, if you will, um, not just a descriptive evidence, but a theory-based evidence that explains how things are gonna happen and, and how we can better explain, predict, and, and ultimately manage. Yeah, no, that's good. I, I think obviously, especially with any grad program, it can be a little bit easier to apply some of that theory in there, especially obviously with a doctoral program, it's imperative. But I think those are some good examples that even will work for undergrad is thinking about how to massage that topic within within some of the content. 
right. That's a, that's a good um, phrase is to, uh, to massage it in. And, uh, you know, one of the ways we do that is to say that, you know, there are different ways of thinking about this and, and maybe even uh, students, I, in one of my classes, I encourage them to think about what could be some other factors that might influence um, this behavior. So they're doing uh, a bit of theorizing um, themselves and, uh, you know, it's a bit strong, but maybe they feel a bit empowered <laughs> by that, you know, by, wow, I came up with that idea myself and, um, and, and, you know, sort of being aware again of the, the power of uh, theory, uh, but it's maybe the power of uh, questioning, um, you know, what is the relationship and uh, why has this, uh, has this happened? Uh, you know, one other thing about the sort of some of the challenges of this, and I think this, you know, pertains to scholars and to students is that, you know, with, with theory um, and, and the several authors talk about this in the textbook, um, you know, it, it really aligns with uh, tension and opposition. And uh, because when we're testing theory, we're testing, does this, relationship exist in this context um, there's a chance that it does not and that's okay right that's the classic it's okay if there's no significant effect here yeah. um, but that's in opposition to theory and that's okay um, it's it's challenging that relationship and saying you know what we don't know everything about this this so we could not explain we could not predict based on these two concepts, what else might be contributing to this? And, you know, all, all of this, um, Matt, is, is taking a step back and uh, I'm going to get philosophical here and thinking about, you know, really, what are we doing? We're, we're, not, we're not just publishing, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, there's that big, uh, heavy um, weight um, over a lot of people, you know, as students and as a faculty. We're, we're trying to generate new knowledge. And so we need to understand what knowledge already exists. How can I extend that knowledge by, you know, bringing a, an existing theory into the sport context, by adapting it to the sport context, maybe by theorizing about like a new, just starting from scratch, what might be going on in the sport context. Um, and um, and so that needs to go beyond description to try to explain what is going on in the sport context. And, and that's where we're making a contribution to knowledge. And if it's a good enough contribution or somebody considers it's good enough, then it will get uh, published. It doesn't sort of work the other way. If it's published, it must have been good enough. No, let's start at really what our goal is, is trying to uh, you know, generate knowledge and generate understanding. Um, and and looking at uh, relationships to increase our knowledge well yeah and to kind of transition here to the end i always try to ask a couple fun questions and you emailed me and it sounds like you're can i call you an avid golfer is that is that oh. <laughs> sure avid is fine. yeah <laughs> so is there a place if you could golf anywhere on the planet that you would golf at like a course or is there like a dream destination for a golf course for you? Mm, I'm not that much of an avid golfer, but I am going to, um, you know, promote my own backyard and, uh, yeah. 
was just at uh, uh, Cobble Beach in um, Ontario. It's um, near our Blue Mountains uh, on Lake Huron, and it was absolutely beautiful. And I would go back there in a minute. <laughs> nice. So when so when anybody is able to travel to um, Canada and Ontario, uh, and you're a golfer, I encourage you to check out Cobble Beach. All right. Yeah, definitely. I've I've seen some photos of some beautiful courses up in up in Canada, especially. But I can't. Um, but obviously, I, I don't know. Like it'd be a great July, August, probably even September for some golf up there. So yep. that'll definitely be on the list. Good. So then the, that leads to the, the very next one I was going to ask. And this one talking about, yeah, well, let's assume that everything is past and travel is back to normal. Like what is your favorite conference to go to in sport in the sport management world? Oh dear. You're putting me on the spot now. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well I should say NASM, uh, and I do enjoy NASM and uh, certainly missed it this year. I, I tuned in virtually, uh, because that's my home and, um, uh, I've, you know, always supported, uh, the conference and encouraged students to come and, um, have, uh, certainly benefited from the conference and, uh, from, where organizers have hosted it. Um, but I, I feel like my, my work feels particularly at home um, in the uh, SMANS conference um, because there's a lot of people there uh, who are doing work on uh, community sport and nonprofit and amateur sport. And uh, so I find a, a nice home uh, right there and it's usually in some great location in Australia or New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I went to Smans for the first time a couple years ago. It's, it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, but, and this kind of goes to that of if you could choose any city that would host, and I'll even say either NASA or Smans, like where, and you will say you have sole power of deciding whatever city would host, like where would you put it? Uh, well, I was always voting for the uh, Hawaii option for, for NASM. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and you know what? In Australia and New Zealand, I've, I've had the good fortune to be several places, but um, I have generally been on the east coast of um, Australia, and I would love to get over to Perth. So if they put the conference there, that would be my extra reason for getting over to visit Perth, Australia. All right, so I guess the gauntlet's been thrown down for Smans that if they if they want Dr. Doherty as a guarantee, then Perth will have to be uh, on the list. <laughs> so awesome. Well, that's that's kind of it. I think this has been really good. I, I think even this has helped me just listening, kind of you breaking this down. But I think this will be helpful for everybody to kind of listen and kind of hopefully get a better understanding of applying theory within sport management, the importance of it, and. Um, providing some good background on how we as a field can try to continue improving. So, so Dr. Doherty, thanks again for joining us on this episode. This has been great. You're welcome. My, my pleasure, Matt, and congratulations on the podcast series. It's an excellent um, initiative and I look forward to hearing more of them. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. But yeah, thanks everyone for listening in on this episode of State of Sport Management. We're looking forward to you joining us for the next episode.